millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, news about the possible final days of our favorite soccer TV channel. Peacock tightens the grip on Premier League uh, fans once again. We debate how the MLS Cup final TV ratings did, how streaming numbers are going through the roof, plus we have letters from you, the listeners in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, it's that time of the year. I mean, it's kind of that wonderful time of the season uh, with games galore. And, and we're recording this on Wednesday night, probably releasing the podcast on Thursday morning. So, um, but uh, this week, I mean, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, games galore from across Europe, from Germany, from England, from, uh, I think, from, from Spain. They've got Copa del Rey games, as well as La Liga games. Uh, and then you've got, of course, Copa Libertadores. You've got Concacaf Champions League, and, and and actually the last couple of weeks, well, actually the last week that we've been watching soccer, it's been a fantastic week. We've had the South Wales derby last weekend, the MLS Cup final, the race for the Premier League uh, title, uh, the Liga MX playoff final. Lots of upsets over the weekend. Uh, some some big teams being uh, defeated by some you know, middle table or, or less uh, lower league table uh, sides. You had, of course, as I mentioned, the frenzy of the midweek games. Uh, we've got the return of Goal Rush this week, and uh, and much much more. But but what for you was your favourite out of everything that you've seen this this past week? Um, I guess. I, I would I, I would say my the the best performance I saw was from Stuttgart against uh, ba, uh, against uh, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, yeah, that was this week, right? And then uh, uh, Lucien Favre uh, got sacked right after that match. That they they were f- spectacular uh, going to Dortmund, getting five goals and, and really uh, and obviously getting the manager sacked. My favorite match was probably Fulham and Liverpool because I've been studying what Scott Parker has been doing the last several weeks with this Fulham team. What, what, what happened was they got promoted. I, I think most of us preferred 
uh, Brentford to come up because they had they had a better side. They had really exciting attacking players, and two of them, Watkins and Barama, Barry and Rama, has now have now been sold into the Premier League. Uh, just to go with all the other really good Brentford players from the last few years, uh, Sawyer's, uh, the Maupay, etc., Consa that have been sold upward. Uh, so Fulham, though the last four or five weeks, I've been really intrigued by because there was a not much talked about spending spree right before the transfer deadline and Fulham were the first few weeks of the season they looked like they might be one of the worst teams in Premier League history right I think everybody could agree on that that they looked and that's what I thought when they got promoted over Brentford I thought Brentford was a side that could would, would compete in the Premier League with the players they had would sign some new guys had a new new ground coming online what a disaster that Fulham had come up instead of them so what we saw was Parker um, overhauled the squad without much notoriety or, or, or discussion. Right now, I think they have one or two guys starting for the for the team that were starting at the beginning of the season when they got crushed by Arsenal. Now, if they played Arsenal, I think the result would probably be very different. Uh, and uh, they they were fantastic uh, for much of that match against Liverpool. And and uh, so I, I couldn't take my eye, eye off that match. Uh, Tactically, there is something very interesting. I, I, I guess Parker, maybe because he's English, because of his reputation as a holding midfield player, we had made the assumption when he moved into management he would be a very negative Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis style, or the reputations that Allardyce and Pulis uh, both have. I, I don't know that the reputations are necessarily deserved, but that style manager, what we're seeing, and he certainly was that way in the championship last season, full and more unwatchable at times. But what we're seeing now, Chris, is a really interesting dynamic where he's got guys that are athletic he's got guys that can play on the break but he also has brought in a couple guys that can play in the midfield and keep the ball and pass the ball around nicely uh they played a high line against liverpool which no one should do you would think and and not only got away with it but but thrived on it i mean probably should have gotten all three points in that match so that was that was my favorite match to think- watch because i just really liked what fulham did and i like what fulham are doing in general right now yeah and that one was a rare treat because we had uh, ian dark on the commentary on this one um on nbc sn but but do you think the fans oh sorry that was part of it uh chris yeah I I, I meant to tweet that during the match, but I was so captivated with what Parker was doing. How much – so maybe we took it for granted because we heard him so much, particularly in the U.S., how much I enjoyed his call of that match. Yeah, and I was going to ask you too because I I, I definitely enjoyed his call. But I I just wonder if the fans at Craven Cottage made a difference. And the reason I ask that too is because the game before that was Crystal Palace against Spurs, which was – one of the games of the weekend, um, and, and again, the, the Palace fans at Selhurst Park in full voice. The day before, we had the uh, the Everton-Chelsea game, and, and I think the fans at Goodison Park made a difference in that game. But I, I don't know, to me, I think it's, it is the, the, the instance or the case where the home fans in these stadiums, where they're allowed, are making a difference where the players kind of rise the, the levels up just a little bit. Do you agree or disagree? On those two matches, for sure. I think Fulham, it's been a progression. Uh, Obviously, maybe took a step back in midweek, uh, not scoring against Brighton. But uh, it's been a progression where they got to that point where they were able to go toe-to-toe with Liverpool. But having 2,000 fans at the cottage, and the cottage acoustically, I think we've all been to the cottage, right? A lot of the listeners of the show also. Acoustically, 2,000 fans in that ground will will sound a lot louder than 2,000 fans at Old Trafford or at Villa Park. So, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> it felt like, I don't want to say felt like a full house at the cottage, but it kind of did, right? Um, Selhurst is another loud ground, actually. So those two matches, yeah, that's a great, great shout, Chris. Those two matches having fans, I think, made a big difference in, in how we felt about those matches and how the matches played out. And um, my complaint about the coverage of this is uh, I, I, there was some really good analysis from NBC this week that we'll get into about Liverpool and Spurs and Man City and Chelsea, etc. But when it came to talking about Fulham, they still don't want to do it. They don't want to analyze Parker's tactics and, and how Fulham have, have really kind of changed the way uh, they're playing. I think Musto got a little bit into it, but not not the way he would if he wasn't given the time, clearly, that he would if, if it were uh, Manchester United that they were we were talking about. So, uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that match. And I have to say, uh, you, you make a great point. The uh, Palace-Spurs match, that's probably high on the list as well. So my, my favorite match from this past week was uh, Liverpool against Spurs. Uh, really high level from the, from the get-go, from the start. Just uh, I was surprised, actually. I thought Spurs were going to really park the bus on this one. Um, but they had chances. They had chances to win this game, um, as did Liverpool. Liverpool capitalized on those chances and ultimately uh, won the game uh, 2-1. What was interesting in this one, I thought, was that um, there was some good post-match um, analysis from Tim Howard yeah. and Robbie Musto alongside Tim, uh, Liam McHugh. I watched this game just for a change of pace. I watched this game on uh, uh, as part of Goal Rush, as uh, which was available on Peacock TV. In Goal Rush, for those who haven't watched it, it's a whip around show, just like uh, the Golasso show, just like Zona Football. Um, just like multi-match 90 back in the day from Fox. And we haven't seen Gold Rush in a very long time. And the reason being is is that there's been, I mean, from basically what, last summer through till now, most of the Premier League matches have been staggered, staggered kickoffs. And it's it's been rare that you have more than two games on at the same time. So this week was a perfect timing to have that. And it's on Peacock TV, so it was on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. But what it provides you is a whip-around show, but usually they focus on one of the games. And in this case, they focused on Liverpool against Spurs. And we have a different commentary team. So I got to hear, I think it was Dan O'Hagan and Don Hutchinson do do the Liverpool-Spurs game. And then as goals went in in the other matches, they would break away for maybe like 10 or 20 seconds and come right back. So so for me, it was a breath of fresh air, just not having the usual, I mean, Olo or Graham Lusso, um, kind of a, just a, a different take on the same match. And it was a fantastic game uh, from start to finish. Yeah, so, so the post-match on NBC I thought was really good, which uh, we haven't said that a lot about NBC this year, but... Uh, Liam McHugh, very good host, and I, I feel like uh, I like Ahmed Farina. I want to give him props for for Friday. Uh, maybe when we go into our match review, I want to give him props for that. But I feel like maybe they felt like NBC felt like they need to bring in a big gun at the network for uh, this match uh, for these midweek fixtures. So Liam McHugh, who is one of their better presenters for all sports at NBC, he's in that he's in that presenter's chair alongside uh, Tim Howard and Robbie Musto and. They were talking tactics in a way they generally have not this year or for about a year and a half on on the show. And I think Tim Howard made the best point of all saying because Jose Jose always has a wrinkle for these big matches. I mean, we all remember the what he did with Inter uh, in the in the Champions League in, in 2010 with these strange formations and guys playing out of position, etc. And then he, he had done it uh, several times after that at Madrid and then uh, 
most notably, I think recently Manchester United against uh, Conte's Chelsea in that match at Old Trafford, which United uh, smashed and grabbed 1-2-0 against the champions, uh, Chelsea, who were unbeatable that season after a certain point. Uh, He did it again today. But Howard pointed out something that I hadn't thought about because I thought it was really interesting and was talking to people during the game, texting with some of my friends, WhatsApping, saying, yeah, this is really neat what he's doing with with uh, uh, kind of the the, the, the the wide midfielders, the really good, you know, the, the, the guys that you would think would be in the middle, Sissoko, uh, even Bergwijn being wide uh, and trying to negate the pace of Alexander Arnold and Robertson coming up the flanks. Really smart. What I had not thought about until Tim Howard mentioned it was, you know, if Spurs play their normal way, it's Sun on the end of those two chances and not Bergwijn. And let's be honest, chances are Sun takes one or both of those oh, and for sure. Spurs win. Right. right. So I, I thought that was the, like the most incredible point I had heard in, on an NBC studio show all, all season. So uh, good job from Tim Howard and great job yeah. from Liam McHugh and, and Robbie Musto getting that out. And now that I've thought about that and processed that, I'm like, oh, my goodness, maybe Jose overthought it. Because I thought Jose had done a brilliant job with the tactic, but then you realize that's where Sun normally plays. It was definitely uh, Tim Howard's one of his better moments this season thus far, and uh, he's been hit and miss as we've discussed. But but yeah, I agree. On Wednesday, uh, post match, he was on form, and he he had a different opinion than um, Arlo White. So Arlo White post match, um, which, which which actually Kartik, I have to ask ask you this. So I have my opinion, but I want to get your opinion. What's your opinion about lead commentators? having an opinion and sharing their opinions i um am not in love with it because i think it it may uh it it may indicate a a certain degree of bias when they call matches or analyze matches now in fairness to arlo white because i did watch that segment with graham lasso and uh have a completely different take which was i think Spurs had more good chances in this match. Totally. And I think they should have won. That That's my opinion. Yeah. Now, I know Liverpool fans are going to come after me for that. That's my opinion. Now, Arlo White had a completely different opinion and was very dismissive of Mourinho's post-match rant, which we knew was coming, right? Um, but, yeah, I... I, I have I don't like it, Chris, but I have to pre- uh, I have to kind of c- uh, put a caveat on that by saying Arlo White doesn't show me any bias, even when he calls Leicester matches. So I have to give him credit for that. But no, I didn't I didn't agree with him about that, and he was very animated about it, which uh, sort of surprised me. Yeah, in his match commentary, I, I don't think he shows bias. But when you're if you're a Tottenham Hotspur fan and you listen to what Arlo says post match. Now, most Spurs fans, I would think, would disagree with him. Um, but he said, I mean, Jose has a very different way of trying to win games, kind of hinting at, at, at his pragmatic style, which he has. <clears throat> and Arlo went on to say that uh, he was in basically in disbelief that Jose thought that Spurs were the better team in this match. And, and like you, I agree that actually Spurs had the better chances to win this match. Yes, Liverpool had chances too, and they missed, they missed theirs. But the the opportunity for Spurs to win this game, uh, I think, was greater than than that of Liverpool. Even with Liverpool playing a better style of play, more attacking, more fluid. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, there is no right or a wrong way to, to play football. 
it's a, it's whatever is most effective and and that can change game to game um and there's nothing wrong with with a route one or a or a pragmatic style or park the bus or whatever the style of play or attacking or open or whatever it may be um me personally i don't like commentators lead, lead commentators being critical or being uh, be sharing their opinions T- to me i'd rather them be almost, almost like a martin tyler where martin if you ask him a question he'll give both sides and will say well some people are thinking this and some people are saying that but he's not the type of opinionated person that's going to say okay i, I mean I, I think that spurs um hint 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 are are, are not uh, winning games or, or playing games the right way so yeah, um, one one other thing, Kartik, I, I noticed this week, which is interesting bec- uh, to me at least, was on Tuesday um, at the end of the day, I tuned in to watch uh, ESPN FC, and that Tuesday, I mean, there was I mean Premier League matches, well, two Premier League matches, a game, bunch of games from France, bunch of games from Italy, bunch of games of from Germany, and I haven't I haven't watched ESPN FC in a while, but probably the first twenty minutes from start to finish, those twenty minutes were all Bundesliga. It led with Bundesliga. Uh, Dan Thomas had a exclusive one-on-one interview post-match with uh, Gio Reyna and Josh uh, Josh Sargent after the um, the Dortmund uh, Werder Bremen game, and it was all in on the Bundesliga. And, and I mean, I haven't been watching ESPN FC, but we haven't seen that much love for the Bundesliga in in, in years. No, and it's actually kind of the reverse of what had happened on Sunday. I, I was I, I was actually not happy on Sunday when Lucian Favre gets the sack, as we talk about, as we talked about, uh, as I talked about at the beginning of the show with the Stuttgart uh, match. The, they, because of these two really good matches we talked about uh, in the Premier League, and then Arsenal, which everybody loves to talk about on these shows, particularly on, on that show, they love. I think I've been saying that for years. They love to talk about Arsenal and and, and take shots at Arsenal. It was. 15, 20 minutes, I want to say, or more before they got even to the Favre news because they wanted to start with Arsenal losing to Burnley and then they got into Liverpool and Spurs dropping points, but that was very secondary to Arsenal. So it really depends on kind of like the flavor of the day, what what they do, because yeah, I, I, I haven't, I didn't watch the Tuesday show yet, but on Sunday they went the other way. They went all in on the Prem because Arsenal had lost and waited for the Bundesliga, even though the biggest news in football that day was from the Bundesliga. Hmm. That's interesting. And maybe it's um, the guests that they have on. There was no Craig Burley. It was uh, Alejandro Moreno and uh, Frank LeBeuf. And and they did talk about Chelsea against Wolves a little bit later in the game. I had some good analysis and discussion about that and debate about that. I, I just thought it was interesting not having watched that uh, news channel in probably a couple of weeks, but uh, how Bundesliga heavy they are, which which if you're the Bundesliga or any of the clubs in the Bundesliga, you got to be like, you mean, high five. This is great. This is fantastic exposure. And it's not um, it's not kind of one of those things where they're, they're just kind of uh, briefly discussing it. They're going in deep, talking about what's happening in the league, etc., etc. I, I have to ask you, Kartik, because I have not been watching as much of the Bundesliga this season uh, as you have. But when I look at the table... And I see Dortmund in fourth place. And yes, I know that they've gone through a couple of games where they had a couple of uh, disappointing draws. Um, at the same time, um, Haaland out injured, uh, still recuperating. I look at the table and I go, OK, well, they're actually not doing too bad. Meanwhile, the coach is sacked. I mean, so what, what's what's the uh, what's the big reason for that? I mean, is it that uh, Dortmund, are, uh, I mean, they're not, they're not that far behind uh, Bayern in the table. 
So uh, before I get to that, I do want to mention, since you mentioned Frank LaBeouf and the Chelsea match, yes, I did watch ESPN FC on Tuesday night because I do remember his analysis of that, which, by the way, was very similar to a conversation I had with a friend earlier that day, which is basically Chelsea don't know when to take the air out of the ball. You know, but you're, you're mm-hmm. away from home. Take the point. Uh, you're playing a team that's very good. And even though the table, they were down on the table. We know how good Wolves are. And, and uh, they've had some trouble with, with injuries. And obviously, Moutinho was out for this match. And uh, Jimenez is out indefinitely. But uh, LaBeouf made that point. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. I'm glad a former Chelsea player is saying it. That, that Frank uh, Lampard has to teach his players, look, at some point, you just you just play a match out. You don't keep attacking, leaving yourself open to a counter. Not only did Wolves score on uh, the winner, but then they almost scored at the death again, right? Yep. Um, when uh, uh, Neto went to the corner and then realized no one was marking him and decided he would put a shot on, 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 and it hit the frame, I think, or just, just went uh, over the crossbar and then the, the, the official blew dead. But on Dortmund, I think this is an issue of a club uh, speaking of ESPN FC, I think Gab Marcotti and Jurgen Klinsmann both had some really good analysis of it on Sunday. Once they got to talking about it after going through all the Arsenal stuff, um, that one has uh, too, ma- too much influence from former players. I've said that for a while about Dortmund. And uh, they're into a certain style. And Mats Hummels came out in the press the day before Favre was sacked and said, oh, we're doing two tiki-taka, trying to play the ball, you know, nice intricate passing between lines. It doesn't really work for us. Uh, and then two, I think there is a certain arrogance. Uh, Marcotti hit on this arrogance. And Marcotti would know because he was in the same room as I was when uh, – uh, a director of Borussia Dortmund started mouthing off about, you know, how superior they were with their model, their business model and development of young players mm-hmm. at, a, at a conference that I attended. And, and Marcotti was in the very same room as me. In fact, Marcotti may have been, I can't remember if he was, he may have actually been the moderator for that panel. <laughs> so he would have the same, uh, he, he was definitely there. I, maybe he was the moderator. Maybe he was just, uh, monitoring another panel. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, but the, the, the point being that, there's an arrogance that they feel like they have all these really good young players now and they've spent money on Emre Sean. They brought Hummels back to the club. Uh, they've, they've got a, a core uh, 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 Mounier has come in from PSG. They've got this core of also very uh, Julian Brandt, these, these guys in their prime that they should be winning the title. And mm-hmm. I uh, think that's a bit naive they uh, have again the, the the meddling of 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 directors who are former players. They have Bayern in the same league as they do, and now they have Julian Nagel, Julian Nagels, Nagelsmann, who is tactically superior to any coach that that Dortmund's going to bring in. Because Dortmund also has a set style, right? Mm-hmm. So this was something that's interesting about Jurgen Klopp. I, I I know this may not be media related, but I just want to throw this in. Jurgen Klopp, when he took the Liverpool job, and obviously Brendan Rodgers had run afoul with this whole director of football concept, all of that, you know, transfer committee. Klopp said, I, I can roll with the punches. I can work that way because that's what I had to do with Dortmund. Klopp was very pragmatic and very flexible in terms of being able to work with other people, being involved in the decision-making around football. Now, since Thomas Tuchel was not, he gets sacked, even though, you know, think about it. If Tuchel got sacked at Dortmund, then every manager should get sacked everywhere, right? (laughs) Right. Basically. And then, uh, 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 then, you know, uh, Peter Bosch comes in uh, for a cup of coffee, gets sacked because he's having conflicts with the the board. Uh, Bosch's team uh, 
is, is top of the table right now with Leverkusen. You know, he gets hired by Leverkusen after he gets sacked by by Dortmund, and and they're overperforming, right? They're performing above their weight. And then uh, now the thing with Favre, I, I think that there is a difficulty in modern football if you're a manager and you have. Um, a set style and you have your own opinions about transfers and about the kind of personnel you want necessarily to work at a place like Dortmund right now. I think you're going to have a hard time getting a really high-end coach. I know I've heard of Hassan Hutel linked with the job. If, if I'm him, I stay at Southampton, mm-hmm. although there's probably a financial incentive to go to okay. Dortmund, right? Um, I, I've heard Max Rose uh, linked with the job again, a financial incentive not, notwithstanding, I'd stay with Muchen Gladbach if I'm him. So I, I think that it's a poison chalice, those sorts of jobs. And that's right. something you'll find more and more in football now, Chris. I think that there are managers who are going to want to work under ideal circumstances. This is why Mauricio Pochettino has not taken a job since he got sacked at Spurs, because I think he wants to find a club where they're not going to meddle. And they're going to let him run the, uh, the, 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 the tactical side, you know, right, the technical direction, the youth program, etc. So uh, I, I would expect to see more of these kind of sackings at, at clubs like Dortmund. I, I think it's a tough job because of, yeah. uh, because of their setup. Yeah, it's interesting too because it's almost like it's it's almost like Dortmund's thinking about the brand, and they're thinking, okay, this we have a, a, a certain style of football. Um, and I've met with, with Dortmund before too, like some of the executives, and it is that kind of feeling that they think that their club is one of the biggest in the world. And and yes, they're big in yeah. Asia, especially China. They have a l- large following there, um, and that fan base is growing. And there's a lot of appealing things and positive things about uh, Dortmund. Um, but they are not at that level by any means quite yet, and, and probably a ways off from reaching that. Yeah, and Marcotti said it on the ESPN FC show that I, I can't remember his exact words, but basically they're very arrogant. They think that they're, they're the geniuses. They think they're the smartest club in, in the world, and, uh, and and he's right. And he, like I said, he was in the same room as I at this at this uh, Sportel conference a couple of years ago when the Dor- one of the Dortmund directors mouthed off about how, how, how great their club was and how they were superior to Juventus. He was taking shots at Serie A and, and the setup at, at Italian clubs, and it, was, uh, it turned me off, really. And I'm a big Bundesliga guy. But I sat in the back of the room at that conference. What is wrong with this guy? <laughs> Basically, I mean, right. there's some sort of insecurity that's making him lash out because then he, then he lashed out at English football, too. But there was some sort of insecurity making him lash out at the clubs in England and in Italy uh, while proclaiming Dortmund was effectively the biggest club in the world. All right, let's move on to, on to TV streaming news. We've got some interesting developments here. And uh, let's have you kick it off, Kartik. Yeah, so as we talked about last week on Disney Investor Day, they have 86.8 million subscribers and are aiming for 230 to 260 million by November of 2024, which uh, would be five years after they launched, right? They launched in November 2019. While ESPN Plus with 11.5 million is aiming for 20 or 30 million, uh, Peacock uh, is currently at 26 million signups. And Peacock, you would have to think of kind of as a combination of Disney Plus, Hulu, and uh, um ESPN Plus, right? They have all kind of all that content in one place. Yeah, these numbers are basically kind of crazy when you think about it, too, because back in the day, right, Fox Soccer Channel, when it was at, at its height, when people knew it as FSC um, back in the 2000s, it was about 30 million um, subscribers. And, and what that means is that oh, wow, 30, 30 million households. So you may subscribe to Comcast or 
I don't know, um, charter or whatever cable uh, service or direct TV. And there's a large portion of, of those um, people that subscribe to those cable channels. They have no interest in soccer, but but they're still included in that number. And you mentioned Kartik, like ESPN Plus, 11.5 million right now. Uh, and that um, they're aiming for the 20 to 30 million uh, subscribers. And you know that people subscribing to ESPN Plus are sports crazy. Maybe they're not soccer fans, maybe not all of them, but there's definitely a, a significant portion of them there too. Disney Plus, 86.8 million subscribers, and they're, they're aiming for 230 to 260 million, which is crazy. And then Peacock at 26 million uh, signups. And I'm sure um, a significant portion of those have been soccer fans in the US, Premier League fans, and, and that number seems to be growing. Speaking of Pe- Peacock, um, we broke a story on Sunday. And this is a story that uh, World Soccer Talk had the exclusive on. And this is Peacock TV. Without telling anyone, they went ahead and stopped uh, providing replays of games that originally uh, aired on NBC or NBCSN. So over the last weekend, I think there was the Leeds game that was on against West Ham on Friday. There was the Manchester Derby. And over the weekend, over the, the Saturday and the Sunday, uh, a lot of Peacock TV subscribers would go into the the section, sports section, and see all the replays, except those games were not available that originally aired on television. And it's a change that uh, Peacock has made, or NBC Sports has made. And what it does, it, it forces you, if you miss the game live and uh, on television, you will have to... Uh, you have to. I mean, you have to be an NBCSN subscriber or, or an NBC subscriber to be able to watch that through the NBC Sports app, which makes it confusing too. So there's some games you can only watch on the, on the NBC Sports app unless you DVR'd it, and then the games that are available on replay uh, on Peacock TV are only the games that were shown on Peacock TV uh, originally. So you got two different places where those replays will reside. And at the end of the day, it just makes things more complicated. It makes things more confusing. Um, and, 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 and actually, bottom line is, is that at the beginning of the season, Peacock TV and NBC Sports promised people, they said, OK, you will get, by subscribing to Peacock TV, whether it's for uh, per month or for the year, you will get all 380 games available for the season, available um, on replay. And that's out the window. Now they've changed the documentation on the website. It says, I think, 175 games. So, yeah, I mean, there's really nothing positive to come out of this. And um, I would really, maybe I reached out to NBC Sports to get a comment from them. And um, I got got a comment, but it didn't really explain why they did, did this. But the why is really they want people to subscribe to both cable and Peacock TV and not cut the cords, so you still get your NBCSN, you still keep uh, Comcast happy, which is uh, the the parent company of NBC Universal, and at the same time you're subscribing to um, Peacock TV, and then you're basically paying them twice uh, for the complete coverage of the Premier League. Oh, Kartik, I I know you're a big Peacock TV fan, but I'm sure this one was another another reason to to be upset with that service. Yeah, and I think the most important thing, Chris, to understand is that NBC sets certain expectations for for the fans uh, and for people who buy 
these uh, the, the, these add-ons or these OTT services. So w- with NBC Sports Gold, they set an expectation. People complained about the price, but it was pretty consistent. Now with Peacock, we've seen things change a lot. Your article on Sunday talked about the bait and switch. That's exactly what it is. They've done that now multiple times with Peacock, removing replays, there's been difficulty seeing bumper programming uh, sometimes on Peacock, uh, replays disappearing, you know, games that are on demand uh, disappearing. It's advertised like a normal streaming service, but you can't pause matches. You can't rewind in match. Uh, you, you, if you leave the Peacock uh, app, uh, you're out. Basically, you have to reload everything. Unlike if you leave the Disney Plus app, uh, it, or it was uh, Disney Plus isn't a good comparison here. ESPN Plus is a better example, right? Same same company. You come back right in, and you're you're you're, you're at the same match you were at. Uh, same thing with CBS All Access. So, all kind they've set expectations to where Peacock is this incredible thing that you're going to be able to consume the Premier League the same way you were able to consume it on Sports Gold, NBC Sports Gold, which you did have to pay more for, in fairness, than Peacock, or or a live extra before uh, the, on the spillover channels, and how you consume it on NBCSN, uh, CNBC, USA, wherever you watch it on uh, NBC over the air. And it's not. It's something completely different. And they are not consistent with what they deliver. So, yeah, I think it's a big problem. And bait and switch is the right word. I loved your, your headline there. All right. So let's move on to the next news item. And, and this is a big one. So every year uh, towards the end of the year, uh, one of the industry writers uh, from Sports Business Daily does his predictions for the next year, for the next 12 months. <clears throat> and and that reporter is uh, John O'Rand, who's uh, well-respected within the industry. And it's something that uh, oftentimes, just as some inside information, oftentimes some of these predictions he's making are based on information he knows. So um, oftentimes when you see predictions for the, the next year, not, not, not just John, but other people, they're predicting things, but they have heard something or there, there's some truth to, to the actual prediction. It's not them just spitballing and going, OK, this is what I think for 2021. It's based on some intelligence, some information, and sometimes it, it may pan out to be uh, different or wrong or may change. But uh, having said that, let me read out two of his predictions, and these are big ones. So prediction number one, late in the year, which would be um, the end of 2021, think November or December of 2021, NBC will shut down its sports channel and move NHL and um, Premier League programming to USA Network and Peacock. The move is part of a strategy to grow NBC's streaming service while keeping its big entertainment channel relevant in a cord-cutting world. The move creates a glut of smaller programming like car shows and dog shows uh, in the media marketplace. So Kartik, John O'Rand is predicting that uh, NBC Sports Network, NBCSN, will be gone um, by November or December of 2021. The interesting thing is, according to one of my sources, uh, he mentioned to me that this is probably one of the um, worst kept secrets in the sports industry. There's a lot of people that uh, believe this uh, to be happening. It's gonna. It's almost like a sure, uh, sure thing. Of course, nothing official from, from NBC Sports, but this sounds... Legit. This sounds very likely that you can see with NBC moving so much programming to Peacock and with all the layoffs 
with uh, COVID, with uh, reductions in advertising and all the issues that a lot of these broadcasters are feeling. Probably the biggest one is the cord cutting, right? People uh, getting rid of the cable in the millions and satellite in the millions. This is having an economic impact on broadcasters. So, Kartik, can you uh, picture a world without uh, NBCSN? Yeah, I expect it to happen, actually. And, and I'm, I'm uh, surprised Oran is, is saying November or December. I thought it would happen over the summer in 2021. I, I, I've said to a couple of people privately, I think this is the last year Premier League matches will be on NBCSN. This is the last year NHL matches will be on NBCSN. Based on uh, his timeline, they actually would start a new season of both on NBCSN before the channel gets shut down. So, yeah, it is a it is a poorly kept secret in the industry. It's almost a fait accompli at this point. So uh, this wasn't terribly surprising to me. Maybe the timing of it is a little surprising. But his second prediction, which you'll get into in a moment, Chris, was much more surprising to me. Actually, uh, kind of shocking to me. Yeah, shocking to, me, shocking to me too, because he seemed really confident about this one. So uh, prediction number two is that NBC will start negotiating a new Premier League deal early in the summer. Even though other media companies will try to grab those rights, NBC will lock them up for another six-year term. NBC will create more windows on its broadcast channel, plus run games on USA Network and Peacock, while keeping the most uh, matches behind a paywall on Peacock. Now, the Peacock element of this, yeah, very likely, right? More and more games are going to be on Peacock uh, starting next season, which is the last season of its current deal. What really, to me, is surprising is how confident he thinks that uh, this is definitely NBC is going to renew this for six more years, especially at the same time that we're hearing that within NBC, there's a lot of question marks about the Premier League. They're not, they're not so sure. They're not really as confident uh, about it in the future. But at the same time, though, Kartik, there's a ton of competition out there, too, that would just be just just really gravitating towards this Premier League deal, you, you would think. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised by this, as, as I know you are, because my assumption was that DAZN and... Amazon Prime, and we saw actually this week's midweek fixtures uh, in the Premier League are on Amazon Prime in the UK. Uh, this is a, a Prime Day, I guess, uh, the th- Tuesday through th- uh, Thursday fixtures. This this match day. So I I thought they were gonna they were gonna make a bid uh, to, to boost their streaming services in the US. Uh, both of those entities, uh, DAZN being maybe desperate for it, that uh, uh, NBC simply could not match. So this was surprising to me. I do think. The factor of Comcast owning Sky might factor into this, right? That, that's something that was not the case the last time NBC negotiated their, their deal with, uh, uh, with uh, um, the Premier League. In fact, at the time, uh, Rupert Murdoch was still trying uh, against – he was on the back foot by this point, but he was still trying to get full control of Sky. And then um, – we also have B Sky B, and then also there was the, the, the possibility that it would go to Disney, right? And then Comcast uh, ended up acquiring it after all of those things played out. So that the, the, the long term relationship that the Premier League has with Sky, and the Premier League exists because of Sky. Uh, although that having been said, uh, they did buck the Sky owner when they went from Fox to NBC in this country. But um, that might give NBC a kind of a hidden advantage that that we're not expecting. The other thing could be uh, that NBC, knowing that they uh, they that they've got the ability to to throw most of this down behind a paywall, 
on Peacock after they shut down NBCSN, which, is, as I said, I believe to be a fait accompli. I think that's happening. Whether uh, Orand is right about the time uh, timing of it, it's going to happen, in my opinion. Almost totally certain of it. Maybe they need the the content to throw behind the paywall to keep value in Peacock. Mm-hmm. And my other assumption would be they probably try and raise the price of Peacock at some point to match the price uh, of services like Netflix. Netflix and uh, uh, and Amazon Prime to non uh, Comcast customers. Now, at the same time, that might put them at a bit of a disadvantage against other streaming services. Disney Plus is very cheap uh, by comparison, right? Right. So uh, that that's uh, that, there's a little bit. The, the thing that I find so interesting about this whole thing, Chris, the streaming wars is, and we'll probably get into this in a uh, in an article for World Soccer Talk in the near future. What I saw Amazon do to the publishing industry, book publishing industry, I think Netflix tried to do uh, in terms of of TV and network industry. And now I see maybe Disney is trying to do it, even though they own however many linear channels. So uh, NBC Comcast might be at a disadvantage with all this stuff, and they might just need to hang on to whatever content they have. (coughs) Yeah, the the, the thing about NBCSN also is that um, they have the Olympics. So I think it, in many ways, they want to keep those, I mean, NBC, NBCSN, and all of the NBC sister networks, uh, keep NBCSN running until after the Olympics, and then maybe run it down a little bit, I mean, make the announcement, and then slowly but surely uh, get ready to, to go ahead and, and change it or, 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 or sell uh, it. I didn't think about that. I was thinking about when the Stanley Cup final was and thought they'd shut down the network after that. That's a great right. point. The, the other thing, though, too, uh, a lot of listeners may have noticed, and I know you noticed this, Kartik, is these these midweek games and even last week's games in the Premier League, um, a lot of them have been on television. There's been very few of them. Very few of the big games have been on Peacock. And even for this upcoming weekend, too, where you would imagine that, okay, now they go back into the Peacock swing of things and have a lot more games on Peacock. This weekend, also, um, some of the games that were originally scheduled for Peacock have been moved to NBCSN. And I think what's happening is that NBC Sports is really focusing on trying to... um, broadcast some more games on television to keep the Premier League happy, to keep them like, hey, look at what, what we're doing here. This is great. We're, yes, we have some of the games on Peacock, but it's usually the smaller teams. It's the the late game on a Saturday. It's the early game on a Sunday. But we're really showcasing how what we provide to the Premier League in the, in the US as far as distribution and, and um, reach and expansion, etc., and I, I think that's part of it too. Is they know that the the deal, that the actual uh, bidding deal, will start. Um, discussions have already started, but the actual bidding process will happen probably in the spring or summer. And they're just trying to keep uh, the Premier League happy for the meantime. Once that deal signs, you I mean I think most of those games will, will be on Peacock. Yeah, because the change has been very noticeable. Uh, and in fact, I tweeted about it and, and some people came back at me. And, but I know you retweeted the tweet uh, saying, hey, they're just trying to placate us because they've done such a poor job earlier in the season, uh, putting all these games behind uh, behind the paywall. You're probably right, Chris. They're trying to pl- not placate us. They're trying to uh, – fans, they're trying to placate the Premier League yep. while uh, discussions are ongoing. And maybe once the ink is dry on a new contract, if Oran's right, the Premier League stays in the U.S. with NBC, which, again, I, I was not my expectation coming into this cycle. Um, 
if that's the case, maybe then uh, you see uh, them throw, throw, throw even more behind the paywall after that, because then they have no fear for, for several years. It should it should still be interesting though too because it is one of those things that you look at uh, ESPN Plus. So ESPN Plus has gobbled up almost all the soccer rights from the last few years, uh, and, and La Liga is one of the few deals that was done uh, that they didn't get. They got almost everything else. And ESPN Plus, imagine ESPN Plus with the Premier League on there, and every single single game being on ESPN Plus. Maybe one game a week, kind of that Saturday game. Maybe that would be on. Um, I don't know, ESPN2 or ESPN News, who, well, whichever. At the same time, CBS has really done well in terms of just hitting the ground running, coming out of nowhere, basically, uh, having NWSL and then expanding into the Champions League. They would love nothing more for their Paramount Plus for, for next year uh, to do a deal knowing that the year after that they would be actually those Premier League games would be, would be on Paramount Plus that would be a must have I mean kind of streaming solution that everyone would want to get if they wanted to watch the Premier League so the zone I think I think have um, kind of fallen off in terms of just uh, financial issues and a whole bunch of other uh, problems uh, focusing more kind of going all in on on the the fighting aspect and kind of just dropping a lot of the other sports so it's still it's not a done deal by any means, and, and and at the end of the day, NBC Sports is going to listen to whoever's going to bid the most amount of money. Um, but they're also they're thinking long term too. At the same time, who who can actually help us remain? I mean, the most popular English language soccer league in the states, and with with changing times, with streaming and and cord cutting and, and all this. Uh, is there a player that can give us both the TV side of things and also the streaming side? And I think uh, Fox has, I mean, lost a ton of money. Fox is just interested in, in the World Cup and U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team uh, and Major League Soccer because those rights are combined. Uh, outside of that, I, I don't think you've got any big players unless it's somebody new that comes in, such as an Amazon or a Netflix or Apple TV or, or someone of that size. Um, I'm not so sure that's going to happen um, anytime soon. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV ratings. Last week, we took out the crystal ball and we said, okay, all right, MLS Cup final. We got Columbus against Seattle. Saturday night, prime time, over the air, Fox. What will that viewing number uh, be? You said 1.25 million. I thought you were crazy. I said 750,000. You thought I was crazy. I said maybe it'll end up somewhere in between. It ends up being 1.07 million. Kartik, I think this weekend you should probably play the lottery. Uh, Yours came close, a lot closer than what mine was. Yeah, yeah, it came closer, but still, I, I guess we 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 said you signed off saying it'll split the difference, right? <laughs> I think that's we were so far apart, and it basically did that. Closer to mine, uh, uh, I'll take credit for that. Thank you, but uh, I think it, it split the difference. I um, I, I I think that there was probably less interest in this matchup, and uh, although Seattle was playing, which usually uh, stimulates people, but there's no uh, there was no Atlanta. So the last time the match was on Fox, I know MLS has been pounding their chest about this being one of the highest rated uh, MLS Cup finals in the last 10 years. As you and I have pointed out, the highest rated MLS Cups traditionally were the first several years of the league, right? And then there was a huge drop off um, uh, in, in the 2000s. But the last MLS Cup that was on Fox, which did include Atlanta and also included Seattle, I had uh, 
uh, about 50 million, uh, excuse me, uh, you know, about uh, 500,000 more viewers on Fox. 1.5 in 2018. So, yeah. so comparing those numbers, um, comparing the 2018 number to the 2020 number, it's down 32%. Having said that, it's uh, a lot of sports TV ratings in general have been down. It's been a crazy year with COVID. Um, I watched the game. Actually, and I enjoyed it. I really did. I thought that um, Seattle didn't show up. I mean, they they made some really poor mistakes defensively and and in midfield. But Columbus, all three goals they scored were beautiful, great finishing. Um, The atmosphere at the Cruise Stadium was fantastic. Uh, The pregame with uh, Rob Stone, Alexi Lalas and Moedou was okay. It was pretty good. The halftime interview with Don Garber, it's like, I don't even know why they bother bringing them on for these types of games, because it's always softball questions and softball answers. And you really hardly ever learn anything or or find out anything interesting. I I would rather them analyze the game itself rather than talk to the commissioner. But I guess it's tradition. Um, But the game itself was great. I enjoyed the game. Looking at the numbers a little bit more closely to Kartik, so, um, so... if you combine the Spanish number with the number on Fox for this MLS uh, 2020 final, it was uh, 1.5 million. Um, and the Spanish language viewership um, was flat compared to last year. So this year, Unamas averaged uh, 459,000 viewers. Last year, Univision had 447,000. But um, so when you combine those numbers, it's 1.5 million viewers, which is decent. I mean, it definitely was much better than I thought it would be. Um, and it's been a difficult year for Major League Soccer. Hopefully, hopefully next year will be better. There, there's so many issues still with the league in, in terms of just um, the vaccine and the COVID and, and attendances and just it, it's all, all, of, all, all over the place. And now, um, as far as some of the other numbers, Kartik, uh, the Manchester Derby, 1.3 million uh, on this one, NBC and Telemundo. But the big number was uh, when you combine both legs of the Liga MX playoff final, uh, both the, the home and away leg, combined was 4.1 million for uh, Club Lyon against uh, Pumas. Uh, on Univision. So I think the first game was uh, 1.7 million and the second game was 2.4 million. Just some massive numbers there for uh, for soccer in the USA. Yeah, um, and I, I misspoke. 2018 was Portland and, and uh, um, Atlanta. So uh, the, the MLS Cups that have included Seattle or four of the last six and then two of the last six have included Portland. So there's always been a Pacific Northwest team uh, in the last six MLS Cups. So I think that makes it a little easier uh, to compare ratings because well, – those two clubs probably have the most massive national following of, of any MLS clubs. But uh, it was Portland in 2018, not Seattle. I realized that right after I said it. Sure. All right. Listener mailbag. First up is Brian. Brian says, have you guys talked about the Saturday and Sunday uh, show available through ESPN Plus uh, for the Bundesliga? The production quality is really high. feels like the end of the year highlights package. Really impressive. It has created a way into the Bundesliga for me by providing context and storylines. Kartik, I haven't seen this. Have you? Yeah, and, and, it, and it's uh, it's phenomenally done. Uh, it's it's a Bundesliga package, but but it's something that uh, again I don't 
we, we didn't get on Fox or we got it, but it wasn't it was on three days later or it was on Fox Soccer Plus or some such such some such thing. So it's good, especially for, for, for fans who don't know the league and aren't steeped in the culture of the league. I, I think this, in addition to the mini documentaries that they've had uh, uh, Derek Ray produce, and hopefully there'll be a few more of those, uh, have helped. Uh, maybe not necessarily the way NBC, the success NBC had year one. Remember, if you're one of the Premier League, they were able to kind of sell the culture of English football and, and uh, the Anglo uh, Anglophilia of even pop culture uh, to, uh, to the league uh, to get a lot of people to become fans. I don't think ESPN has been quite that successful yet with with the Bundesliga, but they're making some small steps that are helping create more context for newer fans and and, uh, understand the culture behind some of these and the histories behind some of these clubs. Absolutely. Next up is Richard. Richard says, I am a massive Arsenal fan and thus subscribe to CBS All Access. Last week was the second time that I got caught in a sign-up loop and never got to see the game. I think the quality of the programming is great, but the app is seriously flawed. When there is a problem, there is no one to contact. Apple TV was unable to help. Please publicize this problem. Thanks for all you do. Love the podcast and the website. And Richard, what I would do too, because actually CBS All Access does have a, um, I believe it's a support form or a support email address. But if something like that happens again, just just post it on in the comments section at worldsoccertalk.com and um, I will reply with, with the link or with the email address uh, to help you try to kind of uh, have that issue resolved. Um, and I agree, it's, it's very difficult to find that information for a lot of these services, uh, Peacock TV included. I mean, all of them pretty much. It, it's really difficult to actually reach out to them. Some of them have Twitter addresses, but they don't uh, respond. Um, but, but anyway, l- let us know. Just post this in the comments section, anyone, if you do run into issues, and we can definitely help you out as best as we can. Next, so with me, go ahead. I've had... Uh, a problem uh, with my CBS All Access on Apple TV. Once I had a problem where uh, I didn't have a sign-in problem, but then when I tried to access a Europa League match, it started asking for my credentials and then uh, booting me out. So something a little bit similar. And then the next time I went in, I, this was a, one of the one o'clock Eastern Time matches on one of the Europa League match days. Uh, the, I went in at three o'clock. I, you know, I just gave up on whatever match I was trying to watch. Three o'clock, I went in and had no problem. And again, I watch it through Apple TV, so it may have just been a, 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 te- a temperamental thing. It might have been for that that particular day. But yeah, yeah, yeah follow Chris's advice with that and, and, and let us know. Next up is Greg. Greg says, hello. I've been reading the blog for a number of years. Just started listening to the pod. In general, I think you're spot on about the general decline in quality of NBC's um, studio shows. Not replacing Neil Ashton and Steve Bauer has hurt in terms of uh, on-the-ground coverage in the UK. If the analysts aren't going to do lots of their own original reporting, they need to include people who do. He says, um, he goes on to say, I disagree a bit on losing Carl Martino in terms of analytical quality relative to Tim Howard. They're different, but I don't see Howard as bad and always kind of thought that Marino, uh, Martino uh, talked a shade too much, but that's just my taste. I like that Howard has a more recent take on playing, playing in the league and especially his years with Moyes uh, add value to any comments regarding West Ham, for, exa- for example. Also, I get the sense he still talks to people back in the UK. He's mentioned that in passing, 
but overall I like him as an analyst. The one area I think it's unfair to knock is his delivery. Another letter in the December 10th pod got at that. He's got Tourette's and OCD, which impacts his speech. If you guys are going to bring up listener letters that criticize his delivery style, I think it's fair to mention what he's worked hard to overcome. Other than that, keep up the good work. And Kartik, I, I'd, I'd totally forgotten about uh, about Tourette's and OCD with Tim. Um, I, I don't know about you. Yeah, yeah, I had. So thank you for bringing that up, Greg. And also, I have to say, you're spot on about the Moyes comments because uh, those who know me know I'm a big David Moyes fan. I'm a big proponent of him. I was a proponent of him maybe even getting interviewed for the U.S. job when the U.S. job was open, whenever it was open, uh, that uh, 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 I – I, I do like the fact that they have someone who has, has played so long for Moyes who can defend him because there is a stereotype about Moyes uh, and almost a punching bag stereotype that's come out in the British media. And I, I hear it all the time on the Guardian podcast. I mean, again, you know, I did this week. Uh, I love Jonathan Wilson, but uh, and Wilson, but Wilson drones on about Bielsa and then they're taking shots at Moyes and no one wants to defend Moyes. You know, it's, it's a mockable thing. Now, of course, I think uh, West Ham had beaten Lee actually but um that that or had they or was it a draw i can't remember but um but whatever the case yeah i i, I really appreciate the fact that he defends moise and he can talk about moise and talk about because I, I will tell you people may be shocked on this podcast to learn this because they've heard the narratives about uh, about two managers in particular moise and, and allardyce allardyce was one of the first guys in england to really put a lot of faith in sports science and Moyes was one of the first managers in England, maybe the first, to really look at analytics the way we look at analytics now. And that's why with Everton's uh, spending constraints that they were under during most of the time Tim Howard was at the club, Everton was always finishing in the top half. There were a couple of seasons they even finished ahead of Liverpool, their, their, their local rival, because he was finding bargains in the transfer market. He was doing things that other managers weren't doing he was doing things that directors of football at clubs were in england that they were competing with weren't doing so i do really appreciate that thank you thank you for the note greg yeah and west ham beat uh, leads 2-1 in that game on friday but but that's something else Oh, that's right yeah that's why it was a friday game but, but, but that's something else though kartik too sometimes i think some of the football managers in england uh get beaten up a lot um by the british by the by the english themselves yeah. you mean there, there is that love of managers from overseas is kind of that that romanticism and, and also part of it could be too that uh, i mean david david moyes is scottish sam allardyce is from what the north so yeah. th- there's definitely that london bias where you mean if it's somebody that's um a londoner maybe they have more time or, or more uh yeah like appreciation Lampard, right Right, right, right. Yeah, so so th- th- there you go. I mean, they they have a lot of time for Lampard. They haven't, uh, they they haven't praised Scott Parker the way I will. I think they should, but they haven't gone after him the way they would one of those guys because he's a Londoner also. But yeah, that's a great point. P- Pulis is from Wales. Uh, uh, Steve Bruce is from uh, the Northeast. The, the guys they go after, we can just start picking picking them out. And uh, uh, you mentioned Big Sam is from from the north and and then obviously David Moyes is Scottish. I mean they have this stereotype. I, I even saw tweets today about because uh, we're recording this on Wednesday about Allardyce getting the West Brom job, uh, hitting Allardyce and then they bring back Pulis, the name Pulis. They start attacking Pulis, they start attacking Alan Pardew. He's actually uh, a Londoner. But um 
it's a very weird thing. They have this kind of self-hating mentality. And I think most of the guys we've just mentioned are good managers, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I actually think uh, I actually put Moyes and and Allardyce near the very top of managers I've seen in the Premier League through the years. If you look at the jobs they've done, I know I think it was disastrous for Moyes uh, that that year at Sunderland. But other than that, uh, West Ham, the first time he did okay, this time he's doing really well. Uh, And obviously, uh, Manchester United, we realize now it was part of a deeper rot, and he didn't get the backing. He got to buy two players. Uh, one was uh, Fellaini, who, who he knew. The other was Juan Mata, who he only got to work with for a few months. He didn't get to buy all the guys Von Hall and uh, Mourinho did, and, and now Solskjaer. I mean, who knows what would have happened if Moyes had had the same sort of budget. I don't think he could have done any worse than, the guy, than those other guys I mentioned, mm-hmm. honestly. And at Everton, I, I will say this again, his record at Everton speaks for itself. I know I seem to tweet this every week after West Ham gets the results, so sorry, uh, Chris, uh, <laughs> thank you for indulging me on this, but I guess I'll get it out on the podcast. You look at Moyes' record at Everton relative to the money they spent. I, 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 I dare you to find another manager in a top European league over that period of time, that eight years, nine years, whatever, from, from the time they first qualified for Champions League, 0405 through the time he left the club to go to Man United, 12-13, that got as much money I got as as good results relative to the competition, the league he was in, uh, per per euro or per pound uh, as Moyes. I, I think he's a phenomenal manager. So I do appreciate the uh, uh, the point about uh, Howard and having Howard on NBC does give some balance uh, because maybe they would have beat up on David Moyes uh, if he wasn't there. That's a great point. Yeah, or if he was if he was a Londoner, maybe maybe they were giving him more of a chance, perhaps. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So next up is Tim Keane. Tim says, with the demise of Watford to the championship, I've been making use of my ESPN Plus subscription. My two biggest takeaways. Number one, the refereeing is pretty awful and the commentators even worse. Uh, As with most things, you don't miss them until you don't have them. As to the games themselves, the championship is a difficult league to dominate with some very good teams and even the lesser teams are rough and ready. So so from my own personal experience... um, it, it, it's true. The championship is a difficult league to dominate. Uh, from this past Saturday when Swansea beat Cardiff City, uh, my match of the weekend, as far as my personal match of the weekend, um, I felt after that game, I thought, OK, Swansea have a good chance of getting promoted. Then midweek, they play Derby, who's near the bottom of the championship. And they get lost. They lose. Swansea lose convincingly, two nil. It could have been three nil or four nil. And then I'm like, okay, this is going to be a mid-table finish. It is very much an up and down league, which makes it more interesting because you never know what you're going to get. Uh, the Premier League is definitely more predictable in terms of kind of top versus bottom. Um, but the Championship is a different story. It's a very difficult league to to get through uh, in terms of uh, to dominate because it is so up and down. Uh, the other thing, the thing about the refereeing uh, is true. The difficulty is is that there's no VAR, so so the referees have no backup. They have no uh, ability to you know I mean to look at any video. They're they're out there. They're, they're doing the best that they can, and the way that the, the the referees are assigned, it's the best referees go to the Premier League. Uh, the ones that make a couple of mistakes may, may get demoted to the championship or some of the up-and-coming ones are in the championship. For the most part, the referees are pretty good. But um, if there was VAR in the championship, 
um, if there was a VAR in, 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 in the Champions League, right, or the Europa League, things would be very different. Um, the referees are trying to do the best that they can. I, I don't think they're awful. I just think it's difficult not having the backup or, or having the help uh, to make the right decisions, uh, even though with VAR, we know that doesn't happen all the time. Last but not yeah, least, I, I go, go ahead, way that, Mr. That, Cham- that, Mr. Championship expert. <laughs> yeah, I think those things even out over over a period of time. As I said last week on the show, I'm yeah, on uh, I think so talk too. sport a lot uh, covering the championship, and uh, they bring me on usually once a week. And uh, I that's always my thing because it, the host is always asking me, hey, there was this controversial call in Bristol City versus Watford, uh, et cetera. These things tend to even out. 46-match season, uh, uh, although, yeah, it's frustrating if you're a fan of, uh, of a club. And, Tim, it's probably frustrating as a Watford fan because there are, there are certainly some matches this season where there have been some, some odd calls involving them. But I think they tend to even out over the season. Long season, it's a slog. It's a tough league, but it's a, it's a fun league. I mean, I, towards the end of the season, as I said last year on this podcast, the championship was the thing to watch the last few weeks of the season. It was a far greater drama than the Premier League or the Bundesliga or uh, La Liga, whatever. It was it was great. Yeah, and also Watford uh, involved the midweek against Brentford with some controversial decisions in that game with offside and red card. So it, it, it almost feels like watching the Premier League of old where you're right. I mean, for the most part, uh, you mean some bad mistakes go against you. And, and then in, in the weeks after that, some some bad mistakes uh, go for you in, in, in your in your uh, uh, turn. Last but not least, uh, Turfit says uh, MLS com- uh, commissioner for a day thought thinking about NASCAR biggest event being the first event of the year, and that's golf's biggest events: U.S. Open, Open, Masters, PGA Championship, spread throughout the year. Why does the MLS Cup have to be played as soon as the season is over? Why not extend the regular season into into December and then move the MLS Cup to the following season during the month of August? This is when MLS gets its best TV ratings and I think would drive ratings even higher. Teams not in the MLS Cup would be able to play friendlies against European teams during their preseason training. And I would also expand the CONCACAF Champions League to include at least 32 teams but prefer 40 teams with five teams per group in group stage with group play starting in early spring and knockout stages played in the fall. Also start a second CONCACAF league similar to the Europa League to include even more teams. Between both these tournaments, every club in MLS and Liga MX would be involved in an international tournament and even more clubs from Central America and mostly turn the focus of MLS to football. So, so my response to this, Kartik, is is who's paying for this? Because even with the, the CONCACAF Champions League, it doesn't get a lot of uh, TV viewing uh, figures or a lot of interest on television. Uh, the broadcasters that do sign up to show these games, Fox and Univision, are paying decent amounts of money, but they're not paying in the Champions League type of money. Uh, I mean, in the Champions League and UEFA Champions League, you've got all these European uh, broadcasters who are salivating at the prospect of trying to win the rights to broadcast these these games. And I think in North America and Central America, um, yes, there's interest in Mexico, especially uh, to watching the CONCACAF Champions League. But for most part, I, th- I think most Americans or fans of Major League Soccer tune out. They don't watch the CONCACAF Champions League because... The teams keep on losing all the time. There's not much of an incentive to keep on watching uh, unless you're the type of person who likes 
seeing negative things happen in terms of the teams losing and doing poorly. So I think Turfit's ambitions to, to change the schedule, but to expand things and have every MLS club uh, participating. Uh, and we haven't even discussed travel costs and travel implications. And I, I think this would be a, like kind of a, a nightmare scenario. Go ahead, Kasek. Yeah, I think it would be tough. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be tough. Yeah. It, it, it's it's something that's been talked about. It's not it's not anything new, but be, uh, there's never been the sort of sponsor interest to actually make this happen. Yeah, it, it'd be a good one for for a football manager. I mean, I mean, you mentioned the sponsorship. I mean, up until recently, the CONCACAF Champions League didn't even have anyone to broadcast the games. I think some of the games they ended up broadcasting on on Yahoo or Yeah, I watched a few games on Yahoo and Go90 at it. Yeah. At one point Go90 app. So so there's, there's been so little interest that they had a t- tough time even finding anyone to to pay anything to actually broadcast the games. Uh, I was actually surprised Fox committed to it uh, the way they did. And who knows if that was you know, to fill a void because they're losing all this. They've lost all these other soccer properties, European soccer properties. But it was that was surprising even uh, given the lack of interest. Uh, as we're recording now, Champions League is about to kick off uh, Atlanta United playing. And I just don't think there's much interest in it. Yeah, especially the way that they're playing these days. All right, so we want you to have your say. If you have any questions for us, want to uh, reach out to us uh, with any uh, feedback, observations, uh, disagreements, agreements, or, or questions about streaming or watching um, soccer on television, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Next week, we're going to try to do this podcast in person. We have to see if we can figure things out and, and try to see if Kartik and I can meet up in person, maybe take some pictures, maybe do some, a little bit of video, but do the podcast in person. So knock on words, uh, this one next week might be a little bit different. We're going to try to try our best to make that happen. It's been a while since I've seen Kartik and, and, and likewise. Um, but Kartik, where can they find you on Twitter if they want to follow um, what you've been saying um, over the next week or so? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at KKFLA737. All right. All right. Don't forget to get uh, the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday on your favorite uh, podcast player, whether it's Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, heading into another weekend of football from around the world, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 